Shumai, don't skip through this, please. Uh, it's important. My good friend and old colleague, Nico Viljoin, who's a, a South African ex-paratrooper with uh, 3Para, so serve with the British forces, uh, with the British Army. Um, and he served with police forces out in South Africa. Unfortunately, Nico's been diagnosed with what is called a recurrent metastatic melanoma cancer, basically a skin cancer, and it's very likely to be caused by the many, many, many months and years he spent in the Middle East under the uh, under the harsh sun out there. It's a very difficult form of cancer to treat. Um, however, specialist treatment is available abroad uh, at a place called the Sheba Medical Center, which is in Israel. And that place has been recommended in Nico by doctors um, as this particular treatment uh, can result in very positive outcomes for patients, even though the form of cancer that he's got is uh, is is not uh, not a great one to have. Not that any cancer is a great, but this is particularly difficult to treat. Um, also, this this treatment is not available in South South Africa. Uh, Nico himself, I mean, he sacrificed most of his his own life for the safety of others. Uh, he deployed with the British forces with uh, three pirates uh, uh, Iraq and Iraq war um, he's been looking after people in the security capacity in the Middle East and and, uh, and Asia for uh, the years since he left he also served with the SAPS right unit number 9 and the Durban reaction unit in South Africa and on top of that four tours in Northern Ireland his fiancée Tracy has put out a, a, a crowdfunding campaign which is on the South African equivalent of uh, what we've got. We've, we've got our GoFundMe and things like that. Theirs is called um, Back a Buddy, all right? Back a Buddy. Now, the the URL to get to that crowdfunding link is, is, is an epic. Backabuddy.co.za forward slash champion forward slash project, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's an epic for me to read out on this. However, I've put a redirect in on the podcast website. So the podcast website, in case you're not aware, we've got a website. It's called charliecharlie1.com. Um, if you go to charliecharlie1.com forward slash Nico, N-I-C-O, it will automatically redirect you to the Backer Buddy campaign that um, that Tracy Nico's fiance has put out. So you may, when you put in charliecharlie1.com forward slash Nico, you may get a, a warning saying the, this link is going to redirect you to another website. Fucking right it is. It's going to back a buddy, Nico's um, crowdfunding campaign to get what he needs. He needs a million rand is what he needs. A, mil- a million rand. That isn't, a, that isn't a, a million pounds is much less, but they're not all the way there yet. They've only got well, they're just shy of half a million rand, which is awesome going so far. There is almost half a million. They need another half a million to go. So anything you can spare, please go on to um, go on to charliecharlie1.com forward slash Nico. He won't even take it to my site. It'll take it straight to Nico's back, buddy, and donate there if you can, if you're willing. If not, I would appreciate you just send, uh, just sharing the back, buddy link when you do go there. In addition to that, uh, all of the t-shirt sales from the H-Hour merchandise shop, which is at charliecharlie1.com, all of the t-shirt sales profit bar none will go towards the backer buddy campaign so if you've been on in an hour and ever getting yourself a hr t-shirt then um do it now and all the all the profit from that will go straight to nico's fund and that'll stay the case until he hits his target so yeah charliecharlie1.com forward slash nico thank you for listening to that and please help if you can he's a amazing dude one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet um 
Sponsoring us today, Rugby for Heroes, who organise events to help out people like Nico, ex-servicemen and women who um, who need assistance sometimes. I mentioned it before, uh, Rugby for Heroes, their next charity day is on the 21st of June. It's, a, it's their annual golf day, okay? And they've just announced that at the dinner, so they have a dinner after the golf day as well. So they've just announced at the dinner, Corporal Paul, a.k.a. Tug Hartley, um, he's a veteran, he's served with the British Army, he served with the Royal Army Medical Corps. You may have heard me mention him before on a podcast. He was the medic if you, in uh, oh, the heroic medic in, in the incident, the famous incident in Kajaki, known as the Day of Days, and, what, and, and the film that was made about Kajaki, called Kajaki in the UK, it's called Kilo Bravo in uh, the States. Um, he was the medic who saved a lot of lives there. His, his actions were unbelievable, and, and Kajaki tells the story of that. Tug was awarded the George Medal for acts of outstanding bravery during the Kajaki Mine Strike incident in 06, which you just mentioned. Um, he's also a bit of a rugby legend. The last Rugby Heroes event was the Beer and Gin Festival uh, back in May, and Tug turned up to play for that, and he was an animal. I think he scored. I think he scored a couple of times. Turned out a fly half. And to look at him, you wouldn't think you wouldn't think he's a fly half. In his, in his age, he's getting a bit... Uh, He's got a couple of rubber rings around the midsection, if you know what I mean. Uh, I, I don't think he listens to the podcast, so I'm safe by saying that. If he does, sorry, Tug, I love you lots. Um, he's, tur- <laughs> he's turning up. He's going to be the guest speaker at the dinner event at the Rugby Heroes annual golf day on the 21st of June. Go to rugbyforheroes.org to sign up for it. The golf day is a four-baller. It's 440 quid plus VAT. Between four, you 110 quid plus VAT. You get a free, um, you get a free uh, polo shirt or T-shirt. You get a free top with it. You obviously get entry into it. You get a scoff. You get a dinner. You get you get a breakfast, I think, and you also get a dinner uh, in the evening. Listen to Tug going off. Good going off. I've heard him talk. I mentioned this last week. I thought it was Tug. I thought it was going to be Tug in the guest speaking. I didn't want to say his name because Mike at Rugby for Heroes hadn't announced it. Well, it's been announced now, so I can say it. Tug Hartley. I uh, I know the guy. I've known him for several years since uh, working on the Kajaki film. Um. And I would sit down and listen to that guy every evening if I could. So please come along to the golf day. Uh, show your support. 21st of June. RugbyFORHeroes.org Or on social media, Rugby Number 4 Heroes. Sweet. Also sponsoring us today are West Nissan, The UK's largest Nissan dealership. Uh... By far the largest Nissan dealership. I was driving through London today. I saw two of their places. You, you, got, you know when you see something and you can't stop seeing it? Like when you spot an old car on the motorway. Not the... <laughs> fuck my head. What's on the Westway is an old car. Or you spot an unusual car. Or you're playing that game. Yellow car. You ever play that? Yellow car with your kids in, in, the, in the car. And you have to, the first one to spot the yellow car. Or yellow lorry. And you, have to, you have to shout it out. Yellow lorry. And then you can't unsee yellow lorries ever again for the next couple of months. Even though you played the game once. West for Nissan. That's what it's like. They're flipping everywhere. UK's largest Nissan dealership. That's why they're everywhere. They've got exclusive deals with Nissan, whereby you can only get certain makes and models of Nissan with West for Nissan. They also give up to a 20% discount. Up to a 20%. Can you hear me what I'm saying? Up to a 20% discount off of new and used vehicles for serving personnel and veterans. Also, they like to employ veterans where they can. So... If you're going to go and buy something, or you're not going to go and buy something, but you're looking for a job either way, give Westway a call. They will help you out where they can. The managing director, Tony Lewis, 
is um, an ex-service person himself, and, uh, and one of his sons was sadly killed in Afghanistan, serving with three para Conrad, who I knew. So West Wind Nissan are huge supporters of the military. They will give you money off of vehicles, and they will give you a job if they can. If they can't give you a job, they'll point you in the right direction, I'm sure. If I know Tony, that's exactly what him and his staff will do. So, for the latest deals, like the ones they've got on the X-Trails right now, up to seven and a half grand off their uh, their X-Trails, depending on which model you go for. All the models have got money off. There's like, there's like 10 X-Trail models, something like that. All the models have got money off. So, if you want some of that, go to westwaynissan.co.uk or get them on social media, Westway Nissan, funny enough. That's it. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Westway Nissan and all the wonderful staff. Uh... Finally, sponsors today are Team Rubicon UK. Team Rubicon UK are the disaster response charity in the UK who are formed of predominantly ex-military volunteers and fucking kiss-cass, kiss-cass, kick-ass civilians. They have a huge mix of people involved with them. I've worked with those people when I uh, came back from Mozambique back in April and saw the, uh, the work that Team Rubicon UK do on the ground and the impact they have on people whose lives have literally been ripped apart by natural disasters. They also help in the UK with all sorts of initiatives and with disaster response. They also build resilience. So they go to places that are prone to disasters like Philippines, like uh, like places in Africa, and they will try and help them better prepare to cope with the disasters that are coming. You can't prevent a flipping cyclone coming. You can't prevent an earthquake coming. But you can be better prepared for it when it it does hit. That's what they do. Response and building resilience to disasters. So Team Rubicon UK can only survive as long as their funding allows. They can only do the operations as long as their funding allows. They can only impact the many, 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 many lives they have in the past. Again, in the future, as long as the funding allows. So you can go to Team Rubicon UK org forward slash donate if you fancy chucking a few pennies their way they are more than happy to take them in and they will be put to good use as i said i've seen myself on the ground but they also need more volunteers so if you fancy signing up you go to team rubicon uk.org and i think it's forward slash roll call but either way go to team rubicon uk.org and it says there's a sign up button there you sign up you do a couple of online courses do an induction domestic ops course, international operators course, all free, by the way. They lay these courses on free, right? And you're good to go and to, to respond to disasters in the UK and overseas if you want. Something kicks off and you're on that nominal roll of theirs that got that list of volunteers trained up, grey shirts, as they call them. You're on that list, you get an email saying, shit's going down in such and such country. Are you able to deploy? If so, when? And how long for do you think? Well, that's it. And you go, yeah, cool. I can go for a couple of weeks. Or you go, mm, can't do it this time, but next time. That's it. There's no pressure. But you can't be on the list if you don't sign up. And they can't have uh, they can't have the uh, the bigger resource they need in terms of volunteers without people signing up. So go and take a look. TeamRubiconUK.org. That is it for the sponsors. My guest today is Jenny McGill. Uh, Jenny McGill is a member of uh, the uh, HAC, the Honourable Artillery Company, based here in London, headquartered here in London. She is also um, a lady who's just cut about the, uh, just cut about her man. 
a hideously long trek through Oman with two other ladies, um, Omanis. I read about it. It was a fascinating trip. I can't tell you what we're going to talk about the podcast because I haven't talked about it yet. I normally do this afterwards when uh, we've done the podcast. I know what we talked about. I don't know now, but I know Janie. And uh, it's going to be a good conversation. Enjoy it. Whatever we talk about. Uh, Age Hour with Janie McGill. Awesome. <laughs> so all and we've of, been recording the whole time. All, all of those dodgy things. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I said no editing. Yeah. <laughs> Can I ask a question? Yeah. Why have you got a whistle around your neck? Um, it's my lucky whistle. My father gave it to me before I did one of my long walks for safety. It's an air raid whistle, actually. It's from the war. Uh, it's a what whistle? Air raid. Is it? Yeah. Do you ever blow it? Uh, now and again for the dogs. Is it proper high pitched? Do you want me to blow it? No, no, no do not. No. Okey dokey. No, no. uh, Jenny McGill, how many uh, how many long walks have you done? Um, three really long ones, I guess. Go on then. Tell um, me the first one. So the Why did you start long walking? <clears throat> um, well, I had dogs, so I always walked with the dogs anyway. But it was uh, I've I found the walking uh, like a therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, after I, well, I broke my back, you see, so fitness-wise. That's right. It was... So you started that, you started long walking. It's not the name for that. You started doing long stuff. Endurance. After you hurt your back. Yeah. How did you hurt your back? Remind me. Um, so I've, genu- I've genuinely forgotten, don't hurt me. No, no, not at all, not at all. So I was training for the Royal Artillery Gold Cup at Sandown. Um, so I was riding on Epsom Downs, exercising racehorses. And uh, poor old Treacle took a tumble on top of me. Racehorses are mental, aren't they? Horses are pretty mental. mental. Mind you, well, people are mental as well. So, yeah, yeah. So, so was that the problem? The combination was um, the combination was mental horse and mental rider, or not? No. Do you know it was just it was just an unfortunate accident. The horse tripped up. How long were you? Um, how long in hospital for? I was in hospital for three weeks. I had quite a lot of metal work put in, so I fractured five vertebrae. Which ones? Uh, T6 to T10, uh, but T8 was um, sort of slightly obliterated, so it needed metal work. Scaffolding, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that stayed in for 14 months, but it was really, it was very painful. Um, and it's in the cold as well. It felt like a, like a Chinese burn on your spine. Really? Yeah, it was horrible. And the movement as well. I had a... You know, I guess the the metal work was probably seven inches. Really? What through all of the all of the vertebrae? Yeah, so it went it it covered a uh, five vertebrae. That's uh, that's a lot of. Metal. Yeah, so you can imagine there wasn't a huge amount of movement there. You're all um, gone now. All yeah, now. it's all gone. It's in my kitchen now. Really? Yeah. <laughs> you could turn them into utensils, yeah. couldn't you? <laughs> it's it? like, it was just a nice <laughs> reminder. I mean, for the last nine years, I've been saying I'm going to turn it into a sculpture, but I still intend to. I'll get around to it eventually. <laughs> <laughs> when did you break your back then? In 2010. Ah, okay. A while ago now then. When was your first walk? That was 2015. How far was that? That was 630 miles. Okay. Yeah, it was it was a decent walk. It was on the southwest coast path, so there was a huge amount of climbs. As, UK, as in the UK, yes, 
Oh, okay, go on. Yeah, so I started in Minehead and went went round the peninsula and finished at Pool. How long did that take you? Took thirty six days. How many miles is that a day, averaging? I, I can't. Oh do gosh, maths. I can't remember now. I can't do maths. Six hundred thirty divided by thirty. Uh, 630 over 10 would be 63. Then over 3 would be what? 21? Oh, 21 miles a day. Average, yeah. 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 Yeah, okay. That's but pretty good going. Over, oh, was it non stop consecutive 36 days? Yes. Yes, it was. Camping out? Yes. Yes. Oh, properly doing it. <laughs> but that was for a military charity. Because you see, the, the accident halted my military career. And so I felt a huge loss from that. Who were you serving with? The Honourable Artillery Company. I thought you were still serving. No. no. Ah, I thought you were still in. No. I didn't realise that, Janie. No, long gone. But I probably only really got over it. The loss of, of that career and that purpose. Probably three months ago. Go on. So, so, so the, the South West Coast Path Walk was, uh, was a means of of trying to fill that gap, find that purpose that I'd lost from losing my career and my passion, my riding. You know, I love horse riding. Mm-hmm. I grew up with it. And to stop that and to have my sort of hopes dashed, my ambitions of joining the Army Legal Service really took its toll. Mm. When did you, so so if the, and you left the HSE in 2010 when the accident happened or would it have been a couple of years after? It was a couple of years after. How were they with it? How, how did they? They were fine. So, it it was I was not medically discharged. It was actually administratively discharged. There was a bit of confusion with me signing back on after my leave of absence, and I didn't sign the pay sheet in time or something. So, do you know what though? I just thought perhaps this is a natural end, and I did you know I I did make moves to go back, but. At that point, I, I just thought, no, this this is how it's got to be. Um, Why did you come to that, that decision? I think I just thought it's time to, to move on. I mean, it, I'd already started a business. I knew that I wouldn't be able to join the Army Legal Service with the way my back was, with the metal work in, and you have to go to Sandhurst, obviously. Um, so I'd started a business uh, with a friend of mine, and I thought, okay, no, this is the direction now. But when I left that business, that's really when the when the wheels started to come off, and I really, you know, missed that the sense of belonging of being part of the military family. Was the was uh, what what called what? Why didn't you have that sense of belonging when the business was going? Or why did you not feel that loss of the sense of belonging when, when the business was going? Was it because the business gave you a sense of belonging, or because it was just flat out busy? And it kept your mind busy. I think it kept my mind busy. It was creative. It was it was an art gallery, and it was enjoyable. Um, but I guess the the relationship with my business partners deteriorated, and I just wanted to move in a different. We were moving in different directions. It wasn't, you know, how we started the business was not how it was becoming, and I didn't sort of sign up for that. So I I had to say cheerio, and then. Um, I didn't really know which way to turn. So I did this walk um, really because I, I felt a huge sense of guilt as well because a lot of people were going to Afghanistan, friends were going to Afghanistan. And I joined the army to to serve in that manner. 
and when that didn't happen that really that that hit me and you know when you have people going away getting seriously injured I, I did feel a huge sense of guilt mm. um which was it's not helpful <laughs> it's not helpful it's, to anybody it's not right either it's wrong that it happens but it's one of the i think it's an in, in, inevitable thing um i think the only i i think i can emphasize slightly with that with two different situations but it's like um i think it's similar maybe a feeling to when i would when i came back when i came mm. back on r&r mm. and there was members of the team still out there I, I i felt guilty for coming back on r&r i hated it maybe maybe yeah. it's like that except much 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 worse because you get the sample anyway but um i how soon after leaving that business did you realise that was the case then? Or that was what was missing? Because some people don't some people don't realise that it's a sense of personal purpose missing for years. Some people don't ever realise yeah. it. They're just flipping grumpy. And it's not just military. Yeah. I, it's, you know, yeah, grumpy, right? Yeah. Or unhappy. <laughs> unhappy. I don't mean grumpy, I mean unhappy yeah. in themselves. But and it's not just military, it, it happens to civilians as well, whatever, get me redundant or or I don't know, flipping being coaching a football team for eighteen years mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you don't need to be there anymore. It's those kind of things. Um, what made you realise it? Um, that's what the problem... Well, I there was a problem, that's what it was. Do you know as well when... I suppose quite a few factors, really. Uh, I, was, I was seeing this, this chap. I had a boyfriend who was um, in the SAS and this will become relevant later on, I, I'm sure, as we chat more. Um, but he was, I mean, I was, I was a bit of a wretch. I partied a lot. I was, <laughs> you know, for the most part, a, a bit of a mess, frankly, looking back on it. And he said to me one thing, which just sort of turned my world around. He said, I, I don't want the mother of my children to behave like you. And that just smacked me around the face so hard. And I thought, Wow. I've really got to take a look at myself here. So that's probably when, in 2012, when I really started sort of examining myself and I did a psychotherapy and counselling course to try and understand and, you know, my background, what... You're just questioning and challenging everything. Mm. My conditioning, cultural conditioning, family conditioning, everything. Mm. Uh, But then you know, as I left that business, I didn't really know which way to turn because I'd had my heart set on joining the military, the army legal service. I worked hard for it as well. Um, so I, I guess I was grieving after I left my business. Um, and so that's why I, I did this walk. And I, I planted sunflower seeds for all the severely wounded servicemen that came back from Afghanistan. Because weirdly, the numbers kind of worked out. So... There were 616 severely wounded servicemen that came back from Afghanistan and 630 miles. So roughly sunflower seed a mile, if you like, um, as, a, as a thank you, as a, you know, thanks for your service. Mm. Um, but it was wonderful because actually on that trip, I ended up walking with about 30 Marines as by chance I uh, I bumped into a former Royal Marine, an older chap, Taff, and he was walking from John O'Groats to Land's End. So obviously, as he gets down to the southwest coast, all the Marines come out to support him. 
And by rights of walking with him, they also supported me. So they did a huge amount for me as well. And they really took me under their wing. But it was incredible because these guys, they would all plant sunflower seeds as well in memory of some a friend that they'd lost and other injured servicemen as well. So I would hear the stories about about the people that they were planting the sunflower seeds for. I've never heard that plant the sunflower seeds before. Is that something you started? I just did in that walk. Yeah, it was my. It was called Sunflowers for Soldiers. Oh, wow. It's just a, per- a personal thing. I love it. No, I'm not taking yeah. the piss. No, I, I can. You know, I get it. I get it absolutely. Mm. Um, well, who was the charity? I did it for Horseback UK, which actually also is run by a, a former Royal Marine. And it was it was interesting because they they rehabilitate injured servicemen through horse riding, and yet it had taken away my career horse riding had. So I kind of you know that kind of made sense and it all fitted in together. Yeah, yeah. I've got, I've got a friend, um, we, uh, Mike Mike Royal Cheesy. I know Mike. Are you from yes, Horseback UK? No, from Instagram actually. Oh God. <laughs> oh. He's going to listen to this. Like, he <laughs> yeah. He's a man. He doesn't need any help with his ego. He does not need help, any help with Tree Beard UK. Yeah, Women love beard. him. Women love him. <laughs> he doesn't shave. Do. He doesn't. I doubt he washes his hair. He just lives like a life of Riley. He just and he, does his own thing, doesn't oh, he? Oh, God. It's good for him. I'm not, I'm not a fan, Cheesy. Uh, <laughs> flipping heck. But, <laughs> anyway, you call it Cheesy. Horse. <laughs> Horseback UK, yeah, he because yes. he he started going to them. I wasn't aware of them, and then um, he put the owner in touch. I tried to put the owner in touch with me to get them on the podcast. Jock, right? I can't remember his name. I'm sure. Was I can't remember sure. his name. Yeah, but yeah. It's a, that's an amazing initiative. Amazing initiative. Oh, it's wonderful. Like yeah. the therapy, animals is just incredible. Well, it's not just that; it's horses, right? So p- people love me around horses. Think, and especially blokes. Oh, think, you ride, yeah. don't you? And blokes think, blokes think it's um, think, well, horse riding it's for fucking chicks. No, this is what I describe it like. Imagine having a dog, right? And a <laughs> yeah. dog, is, and you can train the dog to yeah. do what stuff you want. Except that dog is. Bigger than you, and it can carry you, not a drama. And you can ride that dog and pretend you're going to battle, pretend you're a cowboy. It's like having a, the best dog tricks. ever. You can ride and do tricks and jump shit yeah. on and your dog. Cowboys, <laughs> right? How cool are cowboys? Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. I've been out horse riding in shorts and like a vest before. Stick a GoPro on, on, on the helmet, love it. Horse, yeah, it's amazing. And it's synchrony manuals, aren't they? They're just wonderful. So they just tie in with you, you know. If you mm. if you if you're not uh, if mm. you're nervous, they're nervous. People don't realise how clever they are and how uh, how how they connect with people. Absolutely. Do you know it's fascinating as well? I took myself off to the southwest of France um, to look after a blind dog, actually, and eight horses, and I did that for sixteen months. And just uh, it was very very rural, so I spent a huge amount of time on my own, just observing you know how the how they all act with one another and it's it's not dissimilar to people you know the pecking orders and and the bullying and the kind ones and the, the characters it was it was a remarkable thing to see mm. and and be part of yeah i didn't i didn't know just how connected they could become to, to, mm. to the rider until you know you get taught um you know you gotta you gotta be confident so the horse is confident you're if you're afraid the horse will be afraid yeah yeah okay i get it they just you, you th- i thought you're know, just telling me to be confident just because that makes you a better rider and then i heard about 
gosh, a fair few years ago now, I read or heard about something where they've done an experiment to prove this, that horses mm. synchronous animal, synchronous animals. And they got a bunch of horses, a bunch of riders, indoor manage, indoor riding school. Have, have you heard of this? What? No, okay. keep going. Indoor riding school. And they get all the riders and they fit them with heart monitors and they fit heart monitors and body monitors on the horses as okay. well. Okay. Right? And they say, okay, we want you to get on the horse, we want you to trot down the centre line and halfway down the centre line was a person stood there with an umbrella, closed. And the riders are told, as you get down, they're going to open the umbrella and startle the horse at some point just to monitor, you know, what mm. reaction and all that. So they go down and each of the riders swap their different horses so they all do different ones. Long story short, right, the umbrella was never opened. They never started any of the horses. Mm. Never once. However, the riders, that heartbeat went up and they were much more nervous mm. and they're all exhibiting all those signs. The horses, the same, the same was replicated in the horse's body. Heart rate went up. All the signs of like mm. increased agitation happened in the horse. The horse wasn't fucking told the umbrella was going to open. The horse doesn't know anything. <laughs> It's yeah. all down at the rider. And the riders that were calm, the horse was calm. Yeah. And they swapped the riders between the horses so they couldn't just be saying, oh yeah, that horse is calm. It was all around. It's amazing, amazing. Yeah, the horses know. No. You know, it's all because simply so by sitting true. on the saddle, through the body, the tiny little movements and perspiration mm. and, not perspiration, pheromones mm. and all that, the horse could tell. Like, holy shit, this rider's nervous. What is going down? What do you look out for? What do you look out for? Yeah. Amazing, amazing. That's probably riding. why I don't in, enjoy riding so much now because yes. I have that fear. Yeah, the the actual process of doing it because I ro- I rode the other day. The process of doing it is is no problem, but it's the fear <clears throat> of the outside of the bird, ta- you know, taking off out of the bush and that's going to frighten the horse. So I'm hyper aware of those things now, which takes my enjoyment away, and also there is a high probability of you falling off at the end of the day. Yeah. Did I, the, I don't think that we can argue that. No, it's true. Yeah, it's true. So yeah. that I'm, I'm very, very aware of that now. Um, but I, I do, I guess it's a, a love, a love hate thing or a petrified, excited thing. Mm. Mm. Are you still around? Do you still spend time around horses? Not really. Not really. I mean, apart from living in France and, uh, looking after them I, if I feel the need I have lots of f- friends with horses and if I feel the, the urge which I sometimes do to go and ride then I can but it's not often it's a huge amount of admin as well oh. isn't it just that's the only drama bringing them in washing them yeah. down you know I maybe I've just got a bit yeah. lazy now or something yeah it's a bit more than dog walking right? exactly <laughs> just need a lead that's it yeah and a poo bag yeah <laughs> um, 630 miles for that one mm. for Horseback UK how much did you raise out of interest can you um, remember I think it was about £4,000 and that and that I take it that sort of got you that sense of purpose for a wee while for the duration of the walk and then I drove home from Poole and I just thought that didn't last <laughs> and so <laughs> basically on the, drive. on the drive home I was just like oof I just wanted to keep walking, to be honest. So, how did you combat that? What did you do? What are you um, doing? What What I, are you do? What are you doing to cope with it now, Jamie? Because it doesn't go away. No, it doesn't go away, and I just have to keep implementing different things. Uh, it does go away. I think. 
But sorry, yeah, it, it's hard. it changes. It's hard, it changes. The feelings change. I think it was just a continuous. It is a continuous thing to to deal with it and to you know giving up sugar. Um, so then I did another walk I did I I like pushing myself I I, weirdly I like to feel pain in a sense or I I don't know it makes me feel alive it makes me it gives me that funny buzz Um, so I thought well if I can do 630 miles over that length of time let's do a distance over a short period of time so I did well, I aimed to do 90 miles in 36 hours, but I ended up doing it in 39 hours. And actually the Royal Marines supported me then as well. So I had a, a small team of of serving guys who were walking with me at the time as well. That was that was tough. Dartmoor? Yes, the Dartmoor way. Oh, I don't know the route. I'm just guessing yeah. the route next. No, it was... Well, that was part of it. Because the Marines had supported me on the Sunflowers for Soldier Walk, I wanted to then do something for them. Um, so I did this in aid of in aid of them with the Royal Marine Association, North Devon. They helped me a huge amount. Oh, do they have different branches, do they? Yeah, they do. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that. Like PRA, I suppose. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But I think they might have all merged now. I think it's the... Royal Marine Charity. I'm not. I'm, I'm not. not sure. I can't I recall know. off the top of my head. No. Um, so that was tough. But I think there was a benchmark point um, in my when I was in hospital, and it was the first time that I got up after my accident, having the metalwork put in, and it was the first shower that I had, and it was honestly the hardest thing that I have ever done physically and mentally. And that was just to sit in a chair and have a shower. But literally, it took every ounce of me to do that. Um, and that's kind of the benchmark of, of how far I can push myself. What, what was the problem? What was the problem? Just, I'd Pain? Been, no, I'd been opened up. I was exhausted. I was really poorly. Um, and so to, you know, I'd been laying down for 10 days. Um, and to hold myself up in a chair to have a shower was just horrific horrific mm. um i slept for six hours after that shower actually <laughs> <laughs> i was really tired <laughs> so that i that's that's how i measure my my limits and actually that 90 bar walk probably by about mile 80 i, I might have been near that mm. um but it's just i i just like to see how far i can go well, it's good to push yourself, isn't it? Yeah. It's good for the brain. It's yeah. like, um, uh, I'm injured at the minute. I can't do much. I can swim. Mm. Um, so I, I'm swimming daily, almost daily. And then I, <clears throat> I like to do the sauna. And I like the only, like the, I think the only reason I like the sauna is two reasons. One, because the fight, like the fine is with it, with it being, um, you know, 20 minutes in there at a certain temperature, hot yeah. temperature. And it's good for staving off, uh, all sorts of illnesses and diseases and stuff. Um, plus, it gives me a buzz getting out. The heat. I'll, I'll go yeah. into the sauna for 20 minutes Lovely. before I go for a swim. And I am on fire when I come out. Not on fire temperature, on fire energy. Do you really? Oh, God. Do you not just it's, feel like you want to go to sleep no, after it's totally that? Count, no, it's totally counter that. Totally counter. So I'll go in. I like it to be about 95 degrees, going for mm. 20 minutes. And there's two things. I think I don't know why I don't know why the energy is. I don't know why I get that 
It's not even a buzz. I just not knackered. I'll get. I'll jump straight in the pool, mm. which is obviously colder than the sauna. So straight away you got. Okay, I'm for that sorted me out. I'll start swimming. I'm not void of energy. I'm not tired. Um, like if I go in the sauna just for yeah. the sauna twenty minutes, I'm not. I don't get tired later on in the day. I'm just. That's just what it is. Um, but when I'm in the sauna. It is not easy the 20 minutes at 90 odd degrees. It is not easy. Every time is literally a challenge. It's hideous. And I also find if I don't, if I haven't been meditating regularly, I found this recently. Yes. If I haven't been meditating regularly, which I'm doing regularly now, um, oh, I, it's impossible for me to get 20 minutes. I'll do five or 10 minutes is max. It? Yeah, 100%. I realized it last week. I thought, I've only got five minutes. I, do, I can do 20 minutes. A breeze, not a breeze. But I, can, I can get, I will always get to 20 minutes. The last 10 minutes, I'll be having a go at myself. Jeez, I'll, I'll just be, oh, and the while I get out, and I'll be arguing with myself. Yeah. No, you're staying in. It's 20 minutes. Conscious, subconscious, yeah, conscious, subconscious. Um, uh, and then, yeah, so like, I didn't meditate for a couple of days. Went to the sauna. I managed, I barely managed five minutes and got out. And the next day was the same. I thought, what the fuck's going on? Yeah. How long do you meditate for? Uh, depends. Time. It depends. Anywhere between five and 15 minutes. Not long. It's a guided mm. meditation. I use mm. the Headspace app. Mm. I use that. Um, and when I go in the sauna, I try and meditate in there. But the way I do it in there, because I obviously got my headphones and that, I count to 1,200. Because 1,200 right. is about 20 minutes if you count one right. and two and as a second by second. That's also a... Do you have I, a lose count? No, 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 no. I see, I did not at the start. I did a couple yeah. of times at the start. And then I did it several times, counted to 1,200, totally focused. Oh, Jesus Christ, never could have done that. Now the problem is, it's almost like muscle memory in my brain. Mm. I can count to 1,200. My mind wanders and I'll come back. I'll be counting in the background. Ah, yeah. yes. So I haven't got the focus. Like, fuck. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's like reading a book and then you realise you've been reading 20 pages and you haven't done any, yeah. haven't taken any of it in. But it's, I think part of the energy thing is yeah. it's a mental challenge. I, it, it's hard work, man. It's hard work. So you go, it's in a sense of achievement. It is physically uncomfortable. Then jump in the pool and go and do whatever. Yeah. You know, it's funny though because twenty minutes in a sauna is very comfortable for me. Really? Oh, I love it. I love the heat. How hot are you going in at? I don't hot. I don't know. Because I put, I, I put as much water on as possible 90, to make it you know, as hot. Ah, I mean, no, no, yeah. no. It's not a steam room. It's still the sauna. No, no, yeah, no, no. I meant, I meant the one that I go into. I don't have a choice of the temperature. Oh, so, do you not? I don't no, know. No, I just go in. Thermostat's on. Thermostat's right. on. See, anywhere between eighty-five and ninety-five. And it'll tell you what it is. But I find if it's under 90, it's a breeze. If it's over 90, which is what it is most of the time now, yeah. it's fucking hard. Man. <laughs> it's hard. God. It might be in my head, though. It might be in my head. But it's like that in Iraq, when I was working in Iraq, yeah. uh, when I got out, or when I worked in Iraq for four years, and heat, four, 30s, 40 degrees. I'm mm. ginger, mind. I'm ginger. Jock father. I Irish didn't want to say exactly, here. Right? I didn't want to say, but I was uh, thinking four, it. 40 odd degrees, fine. Yeah. As soon as it hit 50 or above, I'd start. I, oh god this that's is that's gotta nice. be everyone though isn't it well no most people are like 40s aren't they most people are high oh, 30s ra- most people are high 30s i mean people yeah, get to 33 yeah, yeah. 40, 34 degrees here in the uk and people moan but mm. it's because i just did so much time when i was serving in the middle east just, i guess you, know, you just get you acclimatize anyway don't yeah. you yeah how do we get on to all that Fucking oh, yeah. are you sure you don't want a um no, marble man. finger no no Giving up the, the sh- giving up the sugar. The yeah, I try. Well, um, I say that, but I'm a hypocrite. I do still drink, I, and yeah, I same, have yeah. a pudding if I go out for dinner. I rarely. Oh no, I don't even have a pudding. I rarely, I rarely have sugar. This is. I only bought these today. For me. <laughs> for us. Uh, I always get peckish on you. Mm. And last week with Jim, 
I bought. What did I buy? They were they were hard. Uh, all the chewy chewy coloured sweets, like gum gums. Uh, oh, fruit gum. Uh, fruit gums. Starburst. Fruit no, gums. fruit gums. Fruit gums. Fruit gums. The old ones, penny sweets. Chewy. No. Yes. Like blackjack. Similar, similar, similar. Yeah. I bought those, which was really good. These are quiet. Better. Anyway, well, so that was. Uh, let's get back <laughs> onto the walking. Mm. Let's get back to the sense of purpose. Really interests me. Mm. I was at, I've been in. It was a realization of mine last year. Mm. What the fuck am I doing? Realize sense of purpose. This is part of the reason I've gone down the pan. So this is why yeah. it interests me. I'd like the year because it's different for everyone, right? Yeah, of course. The lessons learned, I think, the lessons to be learned are common across the board. How we get there's another thing and how we convey them is an even bigger thing and a more important thing. I think purpose and belonging kind of work together, Yeah. personally, for me. Um, but but purpose, I mean, once you have your purpose, you're sailing, but it's trying to find it. I think as well, um, especially uh, guys and girls in the military, you know, once they leave that sort of safety in a, in a way obviously he might be getting shot at and stuff but you know what i mean the safety blanket of the of the military i mean my gosh you've you've spent your life surrounded by people and it's a lifestyle and that's why i was so drawn to it because you are immersed fully immersed and then you leave and you're well you're on your own aren't you so here's a question for you yes how how do what why do normal people civilians right mm. um how do they go through life with not having that sense of purpose because i i mean i uh, somebody who's uh for example i don't know a lawyer all their life i mean for a sense of purpose when we're talking about sense of purpose mm. right we're talking about something you see as decent and right and morally mm. the, the thing to be doing i.e defending your arm defending mm. the nation or all that that goes with the armed forces, yes. right? So, how do civvies get away with not having that? Got a couple of thoughts on that. Um, I think one thing is family. I think if you have a family, that then becomes your purpose to bring your kids up to give them the best life. Now, I'm 37. I don't have children. I don't have a significant other. I have my dogs. I guess my dogs are. are part of my purpose for waking up but you know that's that's quite a, a big thing and when everybody is is doing that around you and they're very focused on going to work whether they like it or not they need to bring in money to support their their families um I think when you don't have children it's like you have your midlife crisis a little bit earlier and you've got to try and work out hold on what am, what am I working for here um you know, I, I had a really profound moment recently. So I got back from an expedition at the end of January and five days later, my father went into a hospice and I spent the last three months with him until he died. And then he was cremated and I went to pick him up from the crematorium. And I said, you know, is this, is this where I pick up my dad? He said yes, and I could hear some shuffling around, and I thought, all oh, right, he's sort of moving along these, you know, having a fish about for him amongst the other cremated remains. And he brings him out in a tube, and he puts him down on the surface, and I sign a few papers, 
And the guy said to me, do you want a plastic bag? And I thought, oh my God, all of this, like all of this struggle, all of this life, and we're all just going to end up in a plastic bag. And I'm thinking, you know, it is, you've got to laugh at it because it's just completely absurd. And so now, in the last couple of weeks, I just think about all the things that I've held back on and all the, you know, the opportunities that I've missed, the worry that I've had about what other people think about me. And I just think about that plastic bag and I just think I'm li- I'm going to end up in a bag. So, you know, I sat in my passenger seat and said, come on, dad. <laughs> and I had a cigarette in the car park and I was like, I was just looking at it, it was weird. It was so, so weird. You know, someone who's had such a big influence on, in, your, in your life to be in a bag. So purpose th- now after that, you know, the, I mean, I've worked again, like I said, I digressed a little bit, but on what my purpose is and <clears throat> figuring it all out, probably for the best part of a decade. Um, and a lot of those walks were the were the building blocks for that mm. stepping stones, if you like. But maybe we never, you know, maybe maybe it's always stepping stones. I don't think there's uh, one destination. You know, I'm an end sta- a mental end state. Yeah. Well, no. For I mean, some, there are. I guess you know. I envy the people who just. I say just, who go to work every day, come back, go to work every day, and are just content. I I said the same thing, uh, 100%. Can you imagine that? The, la- the lack of stress they have in their head. Or just, I, just, 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 just normality. It's just like, just getting on with it. I know. <laughs> I really... But then, but then we say that, we say that, and, and we're in a... We, I think we have to have the perspective also that we're in a... We are in a... As in you and I... And other people of our background are in a privileged position yeah, to have had such a varied life. And the people that are listening think, I'd fucking love your life, twans. Of course. But I mean, they're going back to the bag. It's like, um, it's two ways to look at that. I, uh, and the, one of the ways I would look at that, as in, mm. because my, it was, what's the point? And for you, it was yeah. the bag, right? And it's the same thing. Well, what what is the point of any of it? Why are we bothering to be here? You know? and then, I don't get it. Well, <laughs> I don't. However... <clears throat> When I, when I, I mean, one of the things I came to thinking about was, okay, if that's what it's all about, and we, we, you're only gone, which I, I sincerely believe I'm not a religious person, we are only gone, right? And we just, our energy, energy mm. just goes into the cosmos. Then what's important now? What matters now? What do, mm. what do we really impact now? And what we impact now by living is the people we come into contact with mm. and ourselves. So, and how, how so, and you want to be good, make them happy, and you want to make yourself happy. Mm. So that's it. Because nothing else fucking matters. It doesn't. Just, we're you. That's it. You can either switch it off. Mm. You can either switch it off, and that's it, gone. You didn't experience it. Yeah, you didn't experience the bad, but you also didn't experience the good. Or you can go, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smash this. I'm going to do as much as good as I can. Just to be as good as I can. It doesn't mm. always work out like that, mind. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't. You have some uh, some uh, pizza, Hic- peaks and troughs. Peaks and troughs. Yeah, I've seen hiccups recently. Um, but you know, you know, that's that's. Um, but to be mm. honest, to, the way when you're in that mindset of what's the point, and then mm. a negative mindset, what's the point? 
man, it's hard to get yourself out. You have to get into a positive position to get yourself out yeah, of it. Yeah, for sure. Because you can't when you, when you when you're in a hole like that, you can't you can't see what's sort of over the parapet of the the pit mm. that you're in. You can't see, mm. so you don't know. You, you just you're just in your own mind. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Oh, nature what, gets me out of it. Yeah, I'm trying to think. What got what? On the brain part. Yeah, well, outdoors mm. is awesome. They think that there's um, don't they think that there's a you get some of all the energy, like genuine, like electric, uh, mm. not, ele- not electrical, um, electrical, some form of energy through grounding. Yeah, grounding. Yeah, Absolutely. what's that then? I don't know. Maybe it's just being in touch with. I mean, the, I think this environment that we've created for ourselves. I, it's really interesting because everyone says, you know, oh, so I, I was recently in in the desert. Um, We'll which we'll that. probably yeah. get on to but I everyone says oh it's a really it's extreme environment and there's all this fear around the desert and I just think to myself hold on that this being in a city is extreme for me it's just data overload for me it absolutely boggles my mind and I feel very um I like a fish out of water, really, in the city. Um, it, I don't know. It's I've I've lost my train of thought. I've gone off on one. I've, in my no, it's head. fine. <coughs> the information overload. <coughs> absolutely agree. Yeah. I don't. I but don't grounding expect- the the grounding. It's just being part of nature. It's what we are. You know, we are part of nature, but we've sort of created this artificial environment where we've all become very comfortable, and it's like familiarity breeds contempt isn't it you you know and getting back into the into the natural environment and feeling it and smell you know i got smell the roses lovely how how we just miss all of this wonderful stuff which is is there and it's and even better it's free Mm -hmm. you know these beautiful sensations of feeling the wet grass and and the sand beneath your toes yeah i got a friend who who emailed me um well, last week or the week before, we were talking about <coughs> this kind of stuff. We're talking mm. about mental health stuff, and he said he, he one of the mornings he decided he was feeling like shit, and he decided to um, he tried to kill himself last year, right? This mm. is the position he'd been in, and he he tried to he got himself up one morning to go for a walk. I can't, I can't remember how it came about. Maybe he argued with his missus or something. I can't remember. He went for a walk mm. in the morning, early in the morning. And he just set him up for the day. And now he's going walking yeah. every morning. It's just He's just on fire. All he's doing is going for a 10-minute walk. That's all it takes. Not sitting in a house on your yeah. phone or watching a flipping TV. Get out, experience it, experience the fresh air. You know, it sounds so fluffy. And you go, oh, God. It's yeah. not. It's go the truth, though. Exactly. Truth speaks it's, for itself. And it's most impactful when you haven't done that for ages. Yeah, know? for sure. For ages, which most people haven't. Most people haven't done it now, you know. Right, we are flipping, going all over the place, yeah. Can we talk about Oman, please? Yes, of course. Tell me about Oman. You went with two Omani ladies, right? How? In fact, no. Shut mm. the fuck up, you. Tell me about Oman, Janie. I'll tell you about Oman. Um, so, Oman, <laughs> I, Oman was a massive evolution of everything that's happened to me. Everything in my past. It was... It, I realize it now, I, not at the time perhaps, but now a couple of months later, I have a lot more clarity um, on it. You know, I was, 
it was all about challenging, challenging prejudices, challenging conditioning, challenging stereotypes, and potentially challenging my own more than any, because I think if you understand your own, you can then better understand others and where they're coming from. So I grew up in a very patriarchal family. You know, my father was a proper alpha male um, roofer, and I was surrounded by men for a lot, a, a lot of my my childhood. You know, roofers, builders, scaffolders, and then I knocked about with my older brother and his friends. Got mercilessly bullied by them, and then I, you know, so I'm very happy in male in male company, um, but equally I'm sort of this this woman, <laughs> I guess, and it's been quite confusing and. So whilst I was surrounded by this environment, I was also sent to a girls' school um, and expected to cook, probably conform to a more traditional female role. Um, so, so it's all been quite confusing for me, mm-hmm. really. Um, and I think it was it was trying to understand my upbringing and where I am and how I actually feel, rather than how I think I should be or what I should be rather than you know I wanted to find out what I actually am and what I wanted to say to the world and actually you know I just wanted to like myself a little bit as well I think I spent after the the accident time going on I I sort of grew to dislike myself and not really have any self-worth or self-belief um and I I know it's just been a course of building all of that up again um there was so there's sort of so much to it. This trip it was very personal. the The SAS guy that I went out with, the one that said the, that dropped the bomb on me, he uh, took me to Oman for the first time in 2012. Now I'd never been to Oman. I'd never seen the empty quarter before. Nothing, and I didn't have any idea about the history that the UK and um, Oman have. <coughs> it's very close, right? And um, I became very interested and intrigued by this relationship and more so about um, the leaders, uh, His Majesty Sultan Qaboos, um, because he, he he's a mediator. He's a, he's a leader of this country in a very unstable region, and yet he has created this incredible, peaceful haven. And that fascinated me really as to why what it was about him that could create could create this and the lack of conflict I, you know there was a lot of conflict when I was growing up as well um so I, I wanted to understand that more as well I just wanted I, I've become very much motivated by the human condition and behavior and how it impacts on one another why do I respond to this guy in this way what is it that triggers me to have this response to somebody and equally why is he responding to me in that way um and I think a lot of it comes just down to insecurity at the end of the day you know I other people's insecurities can trigger your own this is my experience anyway trigger my insecurities so it's then give me an example what you mean give me an example so the feeling of not, okay, I'll give you an example, the feeling of not being good enough. 
when you've organized something and somebody says well you should have done that or you should have done this or you know and they're sticking their opinion on you and you're just thinking hang on we're here aren't we let's you know so maybe it's not the way you've done it or maybe you feel insecure about a decision that I've made because you're fearful or because of an experience that you've had in the past and then we just kind of it's like a game of ping pong of insecurities and I think when you you know when someone is secure within themselves they're not affected by other people's nuances or or whatever it just gets ignored because they're happy they're content within themselves and I do feel that but but the expedition the message of the expedition was to to encourage uh, respect understanding and acceptance of one another regardless of gender culture or identity so how did you demonstrate that well We had, we had, uh, I walked with two Omani women and we had a support team of an Omani man, an Englishman and an American filmmaker. So we all had to survive in the desert for 28 days whilst we walked um, 800 kilometres. How did you find the ladies? Great. No, no, I mean, how did you physically find them? What do you mean? How did you were f- they attracted? No, no, no. How did you find? How did you? F- how oh, how do I? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, so it, the whole the whole journey was very much like I said, an evolution of of things, and the the way the way I planned it was very it evolved. So it was through <clears throat> chance meetings. So I was doing this awful job um, in an estate agent's and I oh hated God. it. And we were at how on earth I thought I was going to find purpose as an estate agent. I don't know. You but didn't money though. No, I wasn't because <laughs> I joined two weeks before Brexit. So all my deals fell through. I didn't make any money for nine months. And it was just the pits for, for me. I mean, gosh, but there was a wonderful thing that happened. I met a Saudi Arabian lady. And I had already started thinking about this expedition that I was going to do through the empty quarter. And <clears throat> she had a house in Muscat. So she said, oh, if we, if you come on a recce, you must come and see us. And I did. And she ended up taking, she introduced me to um, the, the general of the British Loan Service. They lived in the same village, useful contact. And then I ended up at the British Ambassador's Christmas party. So I met a lady called Maggie Jeans. And Maggie has, well, she's now a a lovely friend and and was a huge support. Um, She she was actually awarded an OBE for her contribution to UK-Omani relations. So my project obviously struck a chord with her. And she was an enormous support. And she actually introduced me to one of my teammates, Beda. Sorry, so you'd, you'd started the expedition when this was happening? No, I'd started planning my recce. Ah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah recce. Recce. I do apologise. Yeah. yeah, go on. So I, start, I, probably, I started planning properly two years before we actually went. Yeah, sorry. Um, and then Athea, <clears throat> I met through uh, Mohammed Azajali, who was... Um, he's 2IC of Outward Bound Oman 
and he had actually crossed the empty quarter in 2016. Outward bound Oman? Yeah, so it's outward bound. It's it's um, it's just bringing young people together into the outdoors. There's leadership and cultural understanding. Mm-hmm. Mm. So he had introduced me to to my team, and then Tarek was. There were a lot of hiccups in the in the planning as well, or rather when we arrived. So. I managed to secure sponsorship from Land Rover as well. So they provided two vehicles. Uh, there was there was all sorts of trouble identifying what permissions I might have needed because okay. nobody had necessarily done this before or in the way that I was doing it or we were doing it. <clears throat> it was uncertain, but it turns out we did need permission, um, which should have taken... Well, it could have taken years, but we actually managed to push it through in 10 days <laughs> um, with the help of Maggie and just because the three of us girls together were really pushy and <laughs> wouldn't take no for an answer. And I think because it was such a different thing that was happening over there and the the men were just hugely supportive, which surprised me because I was challenging my prejudice. I was fearful uh, that they would not um, allow us to undertake this journey obviously because you know what we're told about the Middle East and the press and that it's all very very negative but I really found the the opposite over oh, there. Oman's a bit different isn't it it's a bit more um look I only know Oman I couldn't speak for any yeah, other countries. I mean uh, UAE as well seems quite mm. quite um I was say progressive then but it's not the word to use it's just a bit more accept- tolerant of western culture in mm. their country and then you've got Saudi Arabia which is other cut the fish but it, I suppose it also varies from where in those countries you are I've not experienced much of a man not experienced it's, much of a man at all I highly recommend it oh, but I love the Middle East I love, I the, Middle love East. the Middle East as well I don't know it just feels very I don't know perhaps I just have a romantic dreamy vision of it um, but the architecture the, the, the artwork and, and the way you're living like you're saying, you see, it's you're, just, you're with the environment. Yeah, of, uh, it just feels calm. Not in Dubai, maybe. Well, but I mean. maybe, maybe in Oman, <laughs> it's calm. I, I think a little bit further south is quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Yemen. Uh, yeah. How far? Um, so, how long was the trek supposed to be in terms of miles? So we did it. In, we did it. We worked in kilometers over there. So it was. We walked seven hundred and fifty-eight kilometers. Um, from south to north so we started in a little village called Al Hashman and then we walked we were self-sufficient for two weeks because um, the access in and out of the of the dunes was was going to be tricky and then we finished at Ibri Fort which is at the bottom of the Hajar mountain range it was an incredible journey had the um had the ladies ever done any like that before in terms of walking that kind of distance no the they had that they spent weekends out in the mountains and doing treks and things like this and and actually Thea had been over to Kazakhstan on a on a tour um with some friends as well so they dipped in and out but they'd never done anything long distance like this um, so that was a first for them. And in fact, to their credit, they did it in flip flops and Birkenstocks. 
Because they... <laughs> oh, you do? Yeah, well, I mean, my... Well, my feet are like a pair of shoes, I guess. So I didn't suffer from blisters, but the girls really suffered with their walking boots or their trainers. So, yeah, they just went with back of socks and flip-flops. It worked for them. Imagine that. I couldn't do that. <laughs> no. Not at all. So, and the aim was to dispel... Mm the prejudices with what um gender uh culture culture just look we can here's a group of people male female mm. west middle east and we're cracking on and achieving mm. something it doesn't matter we're better together whatever. basically and we are better together you know we, we just have that obviously there's Ch- there's challenges isn't there when when you have a group of people together there's always going to be but if the vision is there and the and everyone is on the same page with that vision then you just crack on and and that's the acceptance part you know we're all different and we all have different ways of doing things approaching things and you know s- some people accept it more than others um but it was it was just really about working together, hmm. and you know shattering these stereotypes. Yeah, and it and it did it did do that. Um, what kind of stereotypes are you talking to when you when you're referring to this? Well, just with male and female. I mean, as the the men were so helpful and so excited about what we were doing, they couldn't do any more for us you know we'd we'd stop um we'd be stopped on if we were walking along tracks you know between the oil fields people would stop the mostly men in fact i don't think we saw any women driving around because i'd guess that area and that industry is male heavy but they would stop they would give us food water they would give us whatever they had and they'd take pictures of us send it back to their their families and their friends going, we heard you were doing this on the radio, but we didn't think you'd actually do it. Ah, so the, so local media was on board as well? Oh, yeah. Amazing. So initially, I didn't approach them before we started. I wanted to have it finished and for for people to say, okay, you've done this. Because um, I, you know, a lot of the time I keep things quiet until they're done because I don't like the negativity. I'm I can be quite easily influenced by other people's opinions. So if I just keep it to myself and do it, nobody can really say anything when it's done. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> just, just, uh, yeah, I know what you mean. I'm guilty of that sometimes as well. Mm. But then if you get out out there and think, fuck what they think, I know what I'm doing is right, or accept the constructive criticism and say, fuck what you think as well. I didn't have the confidence then. Right, got you. And do you see you what do I mean? Now. Because I was just, yeah, yeah, I was yeah. building and this was a big part of the trip for yeah. me was building that confidence because I'd never led a team before. I'd never produced a film, produced or co-directed a film before. So there was a whole lot of new stuff going on for me and it was really, it was testing for me because I was still quite felt vulnerable. You know, I didn't, I didn't feel fully strong. I felt very strong in the planning of it when I was on my own, you know, doing this stuff. And then when I was actually out there and I had other people's opinions to consider, because 
I, my way is not always going to be the best way. So I'm very open to trying other people's ways. And, and actually, the more I tried, the more I realized, you know what, I'm really happy with the way I do things. And if you don't like it, <laughs> do one, you know, jog on, you don't have to be part of this. Um, so and that's kind of how I feel now. So what was the what was the, with the filming mm. going on? What was the the sort of the, not the narrative? What were you doing day to day to for the filming? I mean, when they were engaging with you and <coughs> what were the two ladies' names? Sorry, Beda and Athea. Beda and Athea. Yes, Beda and Athea. When you, Beda and Athea, were engaging with the cameras, what what was the what were you what was you saying? What was the kind the, of what's the storyline? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Each day, it you know we did. The storyline has evolved since then. So basically, Matt came over um, from LA. He, in fact, he walked a lot of the empty quarter backwards as well, to his credit. <laughs> with a um, camera. With a camera. <laughs> and probably spent about two or three hours a day cleaning it. Cause the dust is, the sand is so fine. It was a nightmare. But he, um, no, we just, we discussed culture. We discussed relationships. We discussed societies you know they have a, a very collective supportive society we don't i think we're quite sort of insular singular society and the pros and cons of all of these things how far ahead you know how potentially how arrogant we are in the west to impose our views on on other cultures you know because a hundred years ago we there what women can vote women you know so everyone has to do it in their own time it's like finding your purpose everyone does it in their own time yeah i mean yeah. different cultures are different different mm. ways aren't they and each mm. culture thinks theirs is right yeah of course so um yeah it's interesting it's tricky the subject is very very <laughs> very tricky but i think but again if you understand the individual this the countries are just a mass of individuals aren't they mm. kind of it is i think you it can translate yeah to a certain extent yeah to a certain extent it's, it's i don't <clears throat> i don't think that um we can you know on, on, a, on a big scale mm. countries uh get to a position where we're all happy and all going in the same direction just don't think we can not not in this day and age with uh no money being involved and stuff like that yeah. Um, and, just, and egos, uh, egos, and 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 the simple fact as well that um, d uh, the distribution of resources, food, water is not equal across the planet. So, you know, it's it's uh, it's, and I don't like that. I wish mm. I wish that wasn't the case. But with things like what you did, um, you can demonstrate at the human level, like you say, mm. an individual level. Well, like we can get amongst get amongst each other and do and do good things um just a shame it can't be rep replicated at the top mm. uh again it's 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 tricky isn't it because it all it's all a, a lot of it is down to upbringing you know we only know what what we're taught by our families and our culture and there's going to be conflicts when you have two different ways of doing things mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. who's right who's wrong I don't know absolutely who is right and who's wrong I've, I, I, something I've mentioned a couple of times before is that it's all perspective as well so mm. 
we get told no we don't get told we're right we get told they're wrong so the russians are wrong the chinese are wrong what they mm. you know it's all wrong and we they we shouldn't let them do this that and the other blah 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 the chinese and the russians get told exactly the same thing chinese <laughs> in their head they're like uk is wrong russia's wrong i mean russia's right some of the time we, we can't let them do mm. what they're doing because blah, blah, blah. it's just whose perspective who's we were all right and we're all wrong yeah. What you do? What? How, <laughs> you it's, right, in, it's, it's interpretation, mental. isn't it's it? Mental. It's mental. Yeah, it's you know, completely it's, mental. It's like if we, if you and I were born in China, UK would be the bastards. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yeah. You know, everyone sees things from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Have different interpretations. What you do about it? How do you fix the world? Oh man, that's a. Live life. That's the question, isn't be it? Be good, be good, and be happy. <laughs> I think. Uh, oh, do you want, should I tell you a story? I tell you a story that that Tarek told me round the uh, campfire. It's when I was sort of having a a little bit of a you know a, a moment, and uh, <clears throat> he said, he said, uh, "What is wrong, madam?" <laughs> and I said, "Oh, people," and uh, he said. I'm going to tell you a story. And we were sat around the fire and he said, look, there's a father, a son and a donkey. And the father is riding the donkey and the son walks behind him and they go in, into a village. And the villagers are up in arms. They said, oh, how could you let your son walk? You're a disgrace. So like, okay. So the next morning they walked to the next village and the son was on the donkey and the father was walking. And they come and the villagers say, Oh my God, you shameful man. How can you let your father walk? So, okay, the next morning, they both ride the donkey to the next village and the villagers say, you bastards, how could you both ride that poor donkey? Oh man, they're looking at each other. They're, you know, shrugging their shoulders. So the next day they walk to the village and neither of them are riding the donkey. And the villagers say, you idiots. Why are you not... Why are you not riding the donkey, you fools? And the, and the point was, you're never going to keep anyone happy, everybody happy. You've just got to keep yourself happy, do as good as you can for others, and that's it. Yeah. And that was it. a really, I love that story. I wonder if that, I wonder if that sort of, um, that lesson is ingrained in them culturally. Like, not the, not the actual lesson yeah. verbatim, but that, acknowledgement that you can't please everything and, and you got to go you know it's don't don't you do what's yeah. good enough right because certainly over here in uk culture it's uh especially the younger generations got to try and please everyone else it's hard please work. everyone else apart from yourself you know uh, huge so, amount of pressure hmm? oh yeah huge. huge and let's go back to that uh, that um part of it's that uh, bombardment with data every day mm. it's frightening nothing's like, ever good enough either you have to do this and then you have to do this and then you have to do that and you just think oh god even now i just think it's worse for women it's worse for women do you reckon 100 percent, 100 percent. always having to prove ourselves no you, you no you think you always have to prove yourselves you think you always have to prove yourselves but it's because that's because i think the relationship between mm. from woman to woman and i'm generalizing mm. i'm generalizing mm. you know um compared to men i suggest mm. 
being careful with my words. <laughs> very careful here. I'm losing subscribers as I talk. Got 100% male now. Mm. Um, I think compared to men, mm. your more ladies are more outwardly judgmental in general. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. What, women to women thing. or... Do you think no? In general, more women to women, but also women to men. Women I just think I, mm. I, I think you pay more attention to sort of the um, the aesthetics of things and and make a judgment based on that. I'm I I uh, I am speculating of my own experience. No, it was interesting to you hear know. your your um, view. And so and 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 part of that could be down to like a, a, a genetic thing. Um, with females, uh, you know, you you, mm. you you didn't you didn't get men back in the day like you do these days. It was all you know. It was it wasn't easy. So it was around. I, I don't know. I think how, how how was it done? I'm like, how did I just get onto that point? I had I had a nugget. I of can't remember. We're I had, com- I constantly I digressing. Of, I had a nugget of information in my head there. Mm. I need to get on with this, right? Ah, okay. So, so going back to the male and female thing. Yeah. I mean, as soon as I said this, we're gonna step straight back onto your mic. I am waffling, you know, right? How do we, how do men hurt each other? How fighting. do men how do, fighting? How do women do it? Bitching. Bitching. Emotional. Emotional so, conflict. Emotional conflict. Yeah. So it's so maybe. I think it's, it's hormones. I think it's different because oh. we are different 100% no, we're different. Wired different, 100% different and that's cool and either's better and either's worse it's just yeah. what it is you know? well we need both to create another so you know yeah i, I want to get off this point i don't know what i'm talking about okay but here's one <laughs> no the, do you know this is a this is i think is an important question that needs to be addressed at some point or at least considered do men and women understand okay first of all do we understand each other just as people? And second of all, do men and women understand each other? I don't know. Because I was, I mean, I feel like I've got a fairly decent insight into men because of how I was brought up, right? It's different. So and men are more stable, right? And do you think? 100%. I'm, this is, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, yeah. unless it's a good thing, okay? I'm going to go on to one simple thing, yeah? They don't have, as a physiological example, the yeah. monthly fluctuation yeah. in hormones, which I would never want in a million gazillion years. I'm not affected. I don't. I don't no, but I'm, I'm fl- women are affected. But I'm, I know others that are huge. Women are affected differently, right? But yeah. still, just that simple fact. Yeah. We look at that. Well, men are more stable in, from a hormonal point of view yeah. than women. Just look at that simple thing there. So. Um, I think yeah, maybe maybe it is easier to understand men than it is to understand women. I mean, it's t- it took me a long time to sort of, re- and it took my daughters having daughters to realise yeah. the impact on just women in general. You I've know? heard that a lot actually. I've spoken to a lot of men recently about the fact that they've changed their whole view as soon as they have daughters. I can't help it. Yeah, it's like. Erratic behaviour or a change in behaviour, mm. okay, like with my eldest, <clears throat> when she was, as sort of the hormones are peaking, mm. that period of time, um, man, it's just a realisation, like, she can't help this behaviour, like, yeah. there's nothing, so, 
what do you do? Tell her off? Something she has, has absolutely no control, no control over. over. Yeah. No control over. I'll make sure she comes and says, sorry afterwards. Mm. <laughs> you know, realise it, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, there's nothing you can do about it. It's the same. I mean, it's, 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 it's the same can be said for people with illness, people with mental illness, mm. you know, uh, people with... It's like... Not that, mm. not that hormones are a mental illness, right? But no, you see my point. You see my point. So, and because um, women unfortunately have that uh, that fluctuation, mm. more of a fluctuation mm. than men. Maybe it's hard to understand you. You mm. know, um, we do have very different views on many things. I mean, do you think um, gender is a social construct? Do I think gender is a social construct? Or obviously physically, no, it's just how it is. But no, 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 no. Gender, gender not sex. Gender, not sex. Okay, so I don't, can you can yeah. you separate the two? Yeah, so sex, so sex yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know if so I've had this, separate I've the had two. this conversation, right? My yeah. cousin is a, oh, I don't even know what it is. She, she studied stuff to do with sex and gender mm. and all that mm. weird stuff. We have this discussion. And so she defined it as sex is physically, physically mm. what you are, male, female, your chromosome, mm. X, Y, or X, X, whatever, it, whatever is. it is, right? And then gender is um, your, 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 your expression, your, so your mm. ex- expression of that sex. So there's a label. Hmm. So the question, so is gender a social, con- the, the suggestion that gender is a social, social construct would suggest that society <clears throat> is responsible in your upbringing, Jenny, mm. for, no, let's say, so, I, I don't know if you've got, I wish to be mother, this is someone else. So in my mother, so mm. society, um, society was the reason mm. that my mother grew up wanting children. Mm. That's what it. It, it is, is what we're conditioned to do, isn't it? It's kind of... But through society? Yeah, family, through society. But also, I, this, is, this, this is why I don't think you can separate the, the, the physical and the mental or social constructs because, again, women have those hormones that they feel the urge to breed. Are you asking... Do you think it's more society that has pushed that on us rather than the actual physiological need to breed? Yeah, so, so yeah, that's the question. Is it society? Is it society that makes you want to be a mother? Is it society that um is it society that when you put a when you put um a girl and a boy in a in a room full of toys? The girl will gravitate towards the babies yeah. and all that, and the boy will gravitate towards the you know and the, the pinks and physical the blues doing and... doing things you know um, mechanical things. I think to a degree it is. I think it's contributory. I when I was in Oman again on one of my recce's, <clears throat> I spent a little bit of time with the Bedou, and. I was taken into the matriarch's room for iftar. It was um, Ramadan. And so I was with the matriarch and with the children whilst the men were in their room. I, I spent 10, 15 minutes with them as well. But the 
so the girls, the young girls, were sat beautifully and were helping mother and all of this. And the boys were just causing merry mayhem, just things flying around the room. And I did wonder at that stage, I thought, I wonder if the, I wonder if the girls have been sort of conditioned or to, to be this helpful, you know, elegant thing and the boys are just encouraged or not maybe not encouraged or not reined in like perhaps the girls have been but then would the girls behave like that anyway I don't know I don't know the answer Mm. simply but certainly I think social constructions are mega yeah I'd agree it's contributory contributory but Mm. people suggest that uh, men's traits and women's traits are entirely a product of society and not genetic you know it's just, it's which beggars which boggles my mind it does uh, yeah I, I guess it depends which way you look at it again isn't it it's perspective but i think there's i don't think we could say it was one or the other in my opinion i think they yeah no yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. um but certainly i think things are are changing and there was a wonderful i read um Rainer Maria Rilke the philosopher German philosopher I read the other day and it was beautiful actually he wrote um, a little book and it's called Letters to a Young Poet and he describes women in leadership roles back in I think 1904 and it said when when women um, women will come into their own basically and they will imitate men in their leadership style and then they will find their feet and they will be true to themselves and I thought wow how interesting especially because the the prime minister of New Zealand how she is is leading now with you know she's genuine isn't she like as as I mean I've never met her so I can only comment on what what I've read about her but the way she's handling things is really, like, I don't know, it touches me actually. And I think she's got a huge amount of empathy and compassion. And I think that that, God dare I say it, is a trait of women. I mean, it's so hard like, to stereotype and I don't know, because some some women aren't like that. No, they, but you're right, you know, you're, right I, to make that, you're right to make that judgment mm. in general. You, you'd, be right, you'd be right to say that women are more compassionate yeah. in general than men. Ah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with it. It's, it no. it's too much like flipping out. It pisses me off how... Um, how We're not allowed how to How people, say. not yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. As yeah. soon as you say something's different to something else, be it <laughs> race, gender... Yeah. Sex, you know, um, mm. where you're born in the world, mm. never mind your skin colour, it breaks me. You can't do you know what, though? It's it's really interesting because I have, do you know, I, I really, I'm not fussed what people do in their private lives or whatever opinions they have or political stance they take. But what I have noticed is, is I, I do gravitate towards men and but men I'm very open and so men come to me with their problems a lot and it's very interesting because I will probably have a different perspective of men than what you would being a man um because they talk to me about things that perhaps they wouldn't talk to their mates about um 
And granted, there is that cynical side of me which thinks, you know, are they cracking on here? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Clearly. Um, But these are are chats that I've known for years. And when they have problems, they do come to me because I, you know, they just need a, they just need an ear. And uh, I think, you know, a a lot of the time, and maybe this is a construction that we have to, that men have to be the strong, you know, the powerful people in our society the people that need leaning on and I think that's that's not fair either I think men need need to speak just as much as as women do but they just don't maybe have that um that platform to do it so and also and also mentally the needs are different Mm. um but yeah um yeah I mean I, I I had a guy walk up to me on just randomly walk up to me. So on Saturday, I was in, mm. I was in an event in Hereford, and just popped me to think of it. There, you mentioned that we've got this whole mental health thing going on with um, focus around veterans at a minute, but it's mm. I think it's having a, a wider uh, positive impact outside of the veteran community. But he came up to me, and and I haven't seen him in many years. Uh, I'm we were talking in conversation, I said, how's things? And almost like within, uh, without even a hesitation, in the conversation came up and he was talking. In the conversation, he alluded to, he hasn't been good at all, but you mm. find it really difficult mentally. And we were talking, and mm. it, made, it makes me smile when it happens at the minute. Yeah. Two years ago, a year ago even, I don't think that would happen. And this guy's ex-military, I don't yeah. think that would happen. I would have done it. No fucking way. Am I going to walk up to maybe to my best mate, right? Maybe, yeah. to my, maybe to my dad, you know, and go, hey, I said yes, I'm in trouble. Yeah, how are you? And then I, I just wouldn't tell the truth because you want that perception. You have to be strong, and I'm a man, and yeah. I'm ex-military, and or I'm military, and blah 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 blah. And he came up and spoke to me like it was just like normal. I like, man, it yeah. made me really happy. Yeah, not that he was happy to be, he'd have having struggled, but that that openness, that openness, and and. It's a good thing. It it doesn't. I didn't think of him. You're weak. You know. It just you. Yeah. You, you're even stronger for identifying an issue because you can work on it and get you stronger than you are now. I couldn't agree more because actually, what I realised is that years ago I thought vulnerability was a weakness. I hated showing any kind of vulnerability, and I didn't have the ability to feel anything because it was just weak to me. And now I realize the strength in vulnerability and the strength in saying, okay, this is, I'm not good at this or I'm weak at this or I'm struggling. Um, because that's that's sort of wearing your heart on your sleeve or exposing part of yourself, which which is frightening. It's a frightening prospect because you don't know how people are going to, to respond to you. And it's that fear of judgment as well, I think, that, that stops that stops people yeah i think that's a different attitude for ladies you reckon yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. because that was not resonating with me there at all <laughs> because i'm a bloke yeah. because it, literally in me is thinking oh, don't want i don't want vulnerabilities and it's not about like for, and this is a this is a this is an example of yeah. difference between men and women right that's what i think there i can understand completely how that would resonate with female folk but not blokes i mean the way i the way i see it is 
I suppose the way I justify it now would be one acknowledging yeah. what could be perceived as a weakness, yeah. a vulnerability, yeah. a problem. I'm not operating at uh, ma- um, maximum capacity in certain areas. In this case, mentally, when, mm. what we're talking about, and then it's a uh, okay. We identified that, but acknowledging that in order because when you identify a weakness, you want to fix that problem. When you see an obstacle, you got to overcome the obstacle. Mm-hmm. The problem with mental health is to do that. You have to, most cases, especially we're talking like PTSD, trauma-related stuff, um, yeah, you've, you, depression, mm. you've got to, <clears throat> you've got to air it. That's one of the, that's like one of those yeah. things that has to happen. It has to happen if you over, overcome the obstacle. And if you don't do that, it's just going to get worse, like hundred yeah. percent. But then that's for the bloke, for blokes, and for ladies as well, I suppose. That's the biggest thing. Like, I've got an, one identifying issue. Okay, I've got the issue. I, I can fix it. No, because of this issue, I've got to fucking tell people. Do you know what? And it's one of the hardest things to do. It and is. it's one of the... I have never been challenged so much as trying to work myself out and trying to understand myself and my problems. And once you start unravelling it, you just don't stop. You just do not stop. No. I did... I did a lot of um, cognitive behavioural therapy um, for, for some time, which which definitely helped. But now I'm now I'm working with what I call she, I call her my witch doctor. Um, she's a kinesiologist, and oh, wow. she's basically like a human lie detector, and she operates on the basis female, is that she? She's yeah, female. she is a female. <laughs> she is a female. Makes sense. <laughs> But she's fantastic. So basically, she she works on the basis that the sub we we live through our subconscious, basically through our conditioned, learnt beliefs, and the subconscious and the com- and the conscious are very much in conflict sometimes, and those conflicts need to be sorted out to to progress and to grow, and it's it's a constant work. But she's she's helped me a lot in the last couple of months. And the plastic bag. And the plastic bag. Mm. Yeah, it's funny those moments, isn't it? Yeah, um, but I think it's so, you know, self-development, I think is just so incredibly important. It's huge. It's it's huge. I mean... <clears throat> Especially surviving in this world. Because our survival, you know, the, the way we have developed, our, our, the, the purpose, I guess, has changed. You know, our purpose before was to survive, to forage for food, to hunt, to whatever... But now it's very different. Yeah. Are we all lost? Are we all in a lost society? Uh, yeah, it is different. It's really hard, isn't it? Mm. It's, it's it's easy to survive now. Is it though? Because I don't find it that easy. <laughs> no, it's easy to survive. It's difficult to be actually happy, like uh, properly happy. But it comes in happiness. I I don't know. I think you, you do need sorrow as well. To, uh, maybe the better word would be yeah, contentment. Contentment. Maybe a better word. Yeah. Yeah. Um. We got like t- ten minutes left. We've got all over the place. Has it? Yeah. yeah I know. There's been ahead. absolutely no structures <laughs> at all. But <laughs> no. No. It's fine. But no, others, no. It's fine. So we we'll probably go on for time. another two hours. I want to. I want to make this like three hours. So there's no pressure. That's what I want to do in the future. Mm. Um. That's in the future though. So Oman, right? Yeah. 
How long did it take again? 90 days, did you say? No, 20, 28 days. 28, sorry, 28. So we did approximately 800 kilometres in 28 days, which was, oh gosh, that was embarrassing. I've forgotten the average. Tw- average of 27 kilometres a day. That's pretty good, yeah. What was, yeah. Average temperature? what was the average temperature? Uh, it's cold at night because we did it over um, December and Feb- uh, December and January. And in the day, I think it reached about 38. But I tell you, we'd start at either 5 or 6 in the morning. And it was it was cool then, you know, it was nice. But then 10 to 10 every morning, you know it, that heat that smacks you in the face. Absolutely smacks you in the face. When did you stop, like 3 o'clock? Uh, no, we, depends how far we get on, really. It depends. From probably about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, we really slowed down because the heat kicked in. And once again, slapped you in the face about 2 o'clock. So we might go on till four or five. There was no set. There yeah. was no set thing. How much water just... are you drinking? Um, so on a cooler day, I'd probably drink two to three liters. Uh, two liters, I reckon. On a hot day, I'd do five. God, I thought it would be much more. No, I know. Well, we budgeted for five liters a day. As I said, we had to be self-sufficient for for that um, first two weeks. So... We had we we were carrying a huge amount of weight, mm. um, but no, we didn't we didn't get through that much. There was Impressive. probably only four or five days where I drank five liters. I surprise him. I yeah. surprise him. Yeah, but I think <coughs> when we were with Kit in Afghan, we did anywhere between the minimum with well, the minimum mm. of six. Minimum six. Is it really? Yeah. And if we were out on the ground, yeah, we'd smash 12 litres in a day, easy. You know, they easy. Were, we didn't... We only had lot, day We were carrying a lot of weight. And we yeah, were, yeah, that's it. We no, had no, no, the, yeah. We yeah, had yeah, the vehicles, yeah. so we weren't yeah. We weren't carrying too much weight. Yeah. When's, um, when's the film coming out? Well, so hopefully the Land Rover... Land Rover are doing a press campaign around the expedition. Hopefully that's coming out fairly soon. And then we're making a feature-length documentary, which will be coming out. Well, we're hoping to enter it in Sundance. When's that? Twenty twenty, January twenty twenty. Oh, not long then. No, not long not at all. Long. No, this we're, we're pushing, pushing. Um, so just trying to get funding for the post-production for that. Um, How are you doing that? crowdfunding private what? i'm gonna give crowdfunding a go i've got a couple of contacts that i need to speak to as well um in tv so <clears throat> we're just trying everything basically but also i mean it was a huge passion project for me so it was i guess either put a deposit down on a house or a walk a desert so <laughs> <laughs> i walked a desert <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it sounds like it's worth it. I, I mean, yeah. I, I've read a lot of the. Um, was it your blog? Might have been. Was it your blog? I read a couple of things. Probably on Instagram, it. maybe. No, I got I'm hacked sure. by Did the you Russians. not do a blog about it? Yeah, I have done. I've yeah, written quite a lot about yeah, it. But the. Um, no, the Russians hacked my Instagram, so I'm a bit aggravated because I've lost everything. Say that statement again. The Russians hacked my Instagram. <laughs> how do you know how do you know the russians because they changed their email address and it says dot ru and that's russian sons of bitches oh god kill them but do you know what i'm actually i'm in a way quite glad because it was like it's like a fresh beginning you know and i i quite 
appreciate that because it's just the past is behind. But there's some nice stories in the past. Is it there. still um, her faces of change? No, so that's the expedition thing. But my Instagram is oh your own personal my Instagram. own personal Instagram. Oh yes, yes. So, what is it? No, oh. yeah, well, yeah. Well, you can, have you got a new one then? Go on, what's yours? Yeah. So we we got like th- we got like oh, four minutes left. Janie dot McGill it is. Janie dot J A E J A N E Y dot McGill on Instagram. M-C-G-I-L-L. Are you on Twitter? I am on Twitter. How do you find that? How do you find Twitter? Uh, a pain in the ass. It's quite negative, isn't it? No, do you know? I've never had much negativity. I suppose it depends who you follow. On Twitter, yeah. yeah. I follow a lot of a lot of ex It's positive, but when you go searching through some of the the, the masses of it, it's I haven't got time for it. I haven't got time for that. Time. Time. Yeah, because they're sat behind their computer. I bet they wouldn't be doing that to your face. Well, I think it breeds it. I think negative. I think Twitter is just oh. like a, it just breeds. I don't know what it is about it. It just seems to breed it. negativity. I hate Whereas negativity. Instagram, Instagram's on just pictures. How do you get angry at a picture? <laughs> I don't know. Right? Some people can get angry uh, at yeah. Yeah, yeah. an atom or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, Janie.McGill on Twitter. Uh, I think so. Oh, gosh. Or Janie McGill or... How do people follow the progress for the expedition updates? Instagram. In Instagram. Yeah. At Where's your website then? Oh, www.janiemcgill.com. There you go. There we go. Janiemcgill.com. Yeah. But as a legacy to the expedition, I do, I'm in the process of setting up a fund, um, Her Faces of Change. Um, because what I'd really love to do is raise money to give out grants to female-led mixed-gender, mixed-culture expeditions. Female-led, mixed-gender, mixed-culture expeditions. That sounds yeah. Really amazing. Yeah. Yeah, because I do believe, you know, there's lots of grants out there. And yeah, of course, um, women get them sometimes, but I do, it is still very male-dominated. I'm not sure why. Maybe it's the girls don't put themselves forwards enough. I don't know. Maybe sometimes we just need our hands holding a little bit. Because there's less interest in women. That's why. Yeah, but That's why? It this is just because it's it's, it's like sport. It's physically as well, isn't demanding it? and arduous. Yeah. Not arduous. Wrong word. Physically demanding. Men are the stronger sex. Shoot me now, feminists. Men are the stronger sex. Women are generally not physically. Mm. So it's just what it's just what we've just what the path we've gone down. Is this a social construction? Did, no, no, no. It's just the path we've gone <laughs> it down. Is. So it's, it's changing now. I think just hmm? slowly, slowly changing. It, absolutely, it is. It is yeah. changing. It never been equilibrium. Well, then equally, each to their own. Do what you want to do. Exactly. Who cares? Okay, We're just. Exactly, you know, I don't know. Exactly. I don't know what the answers are. Doesn't matter. Doesn't know. matter. As long as just no do what one, makes you happy. As long as no one being stopped from doing what they want to do. Quite. Then it's fine. You know what Quite. I mean? One wants to go into an expedition, crack on. If a, man wants to, if a man wants to go and uh, work, in a, work in a nursery. Yeah, yeah, let him do it. Let him crack on. What difference does it make? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Doesn't bother me. Amazing. Anything else before we finish it up? And we never got to the next expedition, did we? Oh, well, come on then. Watch this space. I think I told you about it before. You, it's, talk, um, you can talk about it now if you want. You know, I love the um, deeper meanings behind a journey. And uh, this one is, it will be from Ashgabat in Turkmenistan up through Kazakhstan into Moscow. And it's based around the Akaltiki horse. You did mention that. I did, yeah. yeah. Um, This incredibly beautiful horse, which um, Stalin began breeding heavier battle horses in. 
Um, and to prove it, the Turkmen rode the horses on this great big journey into Moscow to prove to Stalin that despite their beauty, they're incredibly hardy. I'd love to do that. I need to concentrate on getting when, the film. And When is that happening? Um, it's probably in about three years, provided everything goes well with permissions and this and that. So I'm really into... You'll be back on before then. Cultural relationships, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. Anything else? No. I wish you the best of luck with it. Thank you, Hugh. And, Thank um, you for having me on. Yeah, sorry we didn't get, like, smash the old man thing. We went everywhere this. We properly <laughs> we went everywhere. Went all over we properly went everywhere. No, I've always got a lot to amazing. say about all sorts. Thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. And, Thank you. Uh, yeah, good luck. Thank you very much. <laughs> Cheerio. <laughs> HR podcast. Final shout out to the sponsors Rugby for Heroes, Rugby Number Four Heroes Online. Tug Hartley is speaking at their next event uh, at the, on the 21st of June, their annual golf day. Tug Hartley's a fucking ninja. Everyone who organizes those events is a ninja. Michael Valance, you're a particular ninja from Rugby for Heroes. Uh, check them out, rugbyforheroes.org. Also, West Bay Nissan, if you fans are getting a discount and you're serving or ex military, Go across to westwaynissan.co.uk, take a look at what you want, and you could be able to get up to a 20% discount off vehicles. New and used, private and commercial. Uh, lastly, Team Rubicon UK. TeamRubiconUK.org. They need volunteers. They need funding still. If you fancy either of those, get along to TeamRubiconUK.org and check it out. Sign up or donate. I'm part of it. Lots of the previous podcast guests are part of it. Prestigious grey shirts. Involved in fundraising and disaster response. Finally, don't forget the Back and Buddy campaign for Nico Vajoin, um, who's been diagnosed with a rare form of skin cancer. He needs to, he needs to raise a million rand. This is a guy who served British forces. He was three parent. I served with him. Um, one of the nicest people you've ever met. Ever met. He's basically looking after people his whole life, whole life, protecting others. Now he is fucked with a hideous form of, of skin cancer. Um, he can only get treated or the best place to get treated for this form of skin cancer is in Israel if you fancy helping out go to charliecharlie1.com forward slash Nico it will take it will redirect you to the crowdfunding website where his fiance set it up please donate a few pennies he needs a million rand he's only halfway there that is it until the next time out <laughs>